through the book of Mark here at UCity Family Church. We've been going through it since we started. We started in September. We're now in chapter 9. Um, and let's just uh, have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in, okay? Heavenly Father, thanks so much. Thanks for um, providing the opportunity for us to come together and sing and enjoy you and enjoy one another and uh, listen to your word and learn and grow and apply it to our lives. We're grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 9, verse, verses 30 through 41. Um, and we'll give, just for a little bit of background, this is uh, right after the Mount of Transfiguration. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jesus came down from there, uh, and then he started teaching his disciples as they made their way down to, through Galilee to Capernaum uh, and into Jerusalem. So we pick up in verse 30. It says, they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. I want to stop just for a second there. I love how the disciples didn't understand what he was saying, because what he said is, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. It can't be much more explicit, and yet the disciples were not able to understand him, and we're going to talk about why. Uh, and then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. They obviously didn't want to disclose that argument to Jesus. Uh, and he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And Jesus took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. This is a great... these these. Uh, this is a great sort of little triplicate passage where three specific lessons are taught as a result of three different um, actions of the disciples. And it's rare because I like to do three-point sermons. It's rare when there's actually three specific lessons in the scripture. So I get to, I get to do the three-point lesson today without any guilt, okay? I, I get to enjoy the... Um, and so we're going we're gonna to call this sermon today Climbing the Ladder to Nowhere. Um, the, the, the idea behind this is the disciples had this view in mind of what was happening. And we've talked about this a little bit, but they had this perception in mind that Jesus was going to establish a political coup, take over by military force, throw out Herod, throw out the Romans and set up his kingdom, get his throne, get his scepter and Peter, James, John, you know, Bartholomew, these were going to be his cabinet. 
That's what these guys are talking about. They're, they're talking about the role that they're going to play when Jesus throws the, the Romans out of Jerusalem. So they've got a vested interest in Jesus establishing this kingdom because they're walking along going, as soon as Jesus establishes the kingdom, you know, maybe I'll be secretary of, maybe secretary of state, maybe I'll be, you know, the military leader, maybe I'll be, you know, in the cabinet. And they, they really, really think that Jesus is going to establish a new government in Jerusalem. That's what they believe. Um, and so they are climbing what I'm, what I'm calling climbing this ladder to nowhere. They, are, they believe that they are, they are vying for uh, positions in this kingdom that doesn't even exist and will never exist. Um, uh, when I was uh, a teenager, my neighbor was obsessed with video games. This is, this is in, you know, I'll date myself, but this was in the early days of video games. games. I actually remember the game Pong. Does anybody remember that? That's sad. Sorry. Um, but I remember, I, re- I remember thinking that's like high tech because the bar would go bing, bing, bing. So my neighbor, this was a few years after that, my neighbor was obsessed with video games. And he had this video game that was an adventure game. And the goal of the game was to rescue the princess. And your character had to fight ninjas, run from tanks, hide from bullets, things fell out of the sky, fireballs, all this kind of stuff. And you had to go level by level and progress through this game until you could rescue the princess. Um, My neighbor, David, had spent literally weeks developing, you know, his skills at this game. And he would sort of update me on occasion. Well, I got to level 7. Well, I got to level... I got to level 13. I don't know how many levels there were, but there were a lot of levels, and this guy was really, really working on it. Spent hours and days and weeks on this thing. Um, Finally, he tells me, Brent, I am on the final level. I am about to rescue the princess. Uh, and And he invited me to come over on a Saturday to see him accomplish the final frontier and defeat this game. Like this was the end of the game. He was going to complete the game. Um, so I went over there and it was a Saturday morning. I wasn't that into video games, but I kind of just sat back and watched and he, his character charged forward into the last level and he was fighting all of the bad guys and he was dodging the fireballs and dodging the tanks and he comes in to the very last level and the last level was like a castle and there was a moat around the castle and, and there were, I believe there were alligators or something in the moat. He got past the alligators. There were last few guards in front of the castle. He got through those. He got into the castle. He got into the inner chamber where the, where the princess had been, you know, captured and was hiding or, and was stuck in there. Got, got the last two guards out of the way. Opened the door. I remember the little music coming through the game like, you know, just like a little, little metallic tune. His character goes walking to the princess with arms outstretched. The princess comes walking to his character with arms outstretched. My friend's pulse is racing, and I'm actually kind of excited about this too because I mean I know what he's gone through. The two characters start to come together, and I kid you not, they start to come together, and the princess sort of lifts up a little bit of her skirt like this and goes, bam, and kicks the guy and, 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 and killed the character. That was the end of the game. Um, there is some sadistic game maker out there who is torturing teenage boys all around the country. Um, he's in jail today, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, his goal, he was trying desperately to achieve this goal. And when he got the goal, I tell you, man, the guy was crestfallen. 
he was totally brokenhearted because the end of the game was the princess kills you. You've been trying to rescue her. Um, sometimes we spend our lives, we spend our time striving for a goal, striving for something that we think will make us happy, striving for fame, fortune, wealth, that relationship, that job, something in our life, some tangible goal that we believe is going to bring us satisfaction, is going to bring us ultimate happiness, is going to finally bring us joy. Is anybody ever guilty of that saying, you know, if I just, when I get to the thing, when I get that next promotion, when I get that next job, when I get, you know, and ultimately we find over and over again that when we achieve that goal, it doesn't provide that depth of satisfaction that we thought it would provide. It doesn't give us that deep, resonant happiness, peace, joy that we thought we would find. That's what's going on with these disciples. They are pursuing a goal that is not going to give them any satisfaction because, first of all, it's not going to happen. They don't get to rescue the princess. Um, In this series of teachings uh, that we just read, Jesus is trying to convey to his followers the reality that the pursuit of fame, fortune, power, prestige, earthly greatness... And all of that is a ladder to nowhere. And that it's only when we pursue God and the things of God, when we pursue righteousness, peace, joy, integrity, selflessness, sacrifice, generosity, when we pursue these things, it's only then that we, that we actually achieve a life of greatness, a life of true worth, a life of a depth of real substance. Um, and, it's, and it's, I think probably a lot of us have found this, when we strive to please ourselves, we often find that we're more miserable at the end of that striving than we were at the beginning. So I want to go just through, uh, I want to talk to you just through these three lessons that I think we draw from this series of scriptures today. And they are this. Um, Number one, listen closely to God's voice in your life. Listen closely to God's voice in your life. Number two, become great by serving others. And number three, see the big picture. And we're going to go through all these. Um, Number one, li- listen closely to God's voice in your life. This this week, I uh, was up. I took the train up to Chicago uh, to meet some some friends that I hadn't seen for 15 years or so. A group of a uh, group of guys that I hadn't seen for a long time. It was really great to see them. But on the train, as we're going up, um, I was looking out the window, and you get to see things in the train that you don't get to see from the road, or you know. So there was this whole stretch of land where there were these telephone wires. And these telephone wires had been completely overgrown by foliage and trees and leaves, and the wires were busted off. And, and, and y- you, could, uh, these, you could see that these transmitters of communication had become completely obsolete. Um, leaves and, and all this stuff had grown up and, and, and crushed them or had, you know, had broken them. Um, sometimes when we are trying to hear what God has to say to us. And I don't mean necessarily he's speaking in an audible voice, but sometimes when we're trying to understand what God wants to communicate to us, we allow neglect because we, we neglect our, our, our spiritual mind such that various diversions and distractions keep us from hearing what God has to say to us. When Jesus says to his disciples, they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise again. The disciples say, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they have allowed their own desire, their own story, their own version of events that they want to happen. They've allowed those to, to corrupt and muddle the communication. Does that make sense? Um, 
They also have this issue that I would call selective hearing. Has anybody ever had, ever seen that? Um, Jameson has it, and I think he got it from me. Because Jameson will come to, to me and say, Dad, can I have an Oreo cookie? And I'll say, no, Jameson, not now because we're getting ready to eat supper. And then he'll go into Rebecca and he'll say, Mom, can I have an Oreo cookie? And it's like, wait a minute. I just told you you couldn't have an Oreo cookie. But he's like, he didn't really hear that when I said that. You know, if I, so, so he goes and asks Mom. And there's a, there's a sense where you, you actually get it. You almost go, yeah, he really sort of blocked that out. Um, so on a Sunday afternoon, if I'm tired, and, and I know I'm probably the only guy that ever does this, but none of the rest of you guys do this. But if, if I'm sitting there on the couch and Rebecca says something like, you know, we ought to really rake the leaves. Uh, you know, they're getting kind of, there's a lot of leaves in the, in the yard. I can't really hear that. I, that. Somehow that doesn't, it doesn't get in there, you know. But if she says, hey, it's time for supper, man, I, somehow I hear that. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, we have selective hearing. The, uh, the disciples, when Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of, of men and they'll kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying. When he said the Son of Man, this is an interesting point. These guys were, all grew up in the synagogue. All of his, all of his um, followers grew up in the synagogue. And they had heard and read and been taught about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is, is a reference from the book of Daniel. It's a messianic reference. It's a reference to what the Messiah is going to be like. So all of these guys had a preconceived notion of what the Messiah was going to be like. The Son of Man was going to be like this. And I'm going to read you the passage from Daniel uh, that they had been taught. Daniel 7 says, I beheld, therefore, in the vision of the night, and lo, one like a son of man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to God, and they presented him before God, and God gave him power and glory and a kingdom, and all the people, tribes and tongues, shall serve him. His power is an everlasting power that shall not be taken away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man is described in the book of Daniel as this powerful figure whose kingdom will not be destroyed and all the tribes and all the people and all the people of the world will worship him. And so when these guys had been taught about the Son of Man, they had this vision, as I said, they had this vision of this earthly, powerful guy. And when Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be killed, it didn't compute. It just didn't compute because they had in their mind, they had the selective hearing, they heard what they wanted to hear and they couldn't hear what he was really saying. The, the humorist and television personality, Dave Cavett, says, it's a rare person who wants to hear what he doesn't want to hear. You know what I mean? Um, I love the line in uh, Paul Simon's The Boxer, that song, The Boxer. He says, promises, lies, and jest. A man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. And then he goes, mm-hmm. I don't know how he does that. Second um, Timothy 4 warns us about this 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 uh, attitude. Second Timothy 4 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I love that. The itching ears. It's like, you know what? Let me just get some people around me who are going to say what I want to hear. I don't want people around me who are going to challenge me, who are going to tell me that I'm not doing the right thing, who are going to confront me about something I'm doing or saying, you know, I just want to get people around me who go, yeah, you're doing great. You know what I mean? And that, and Timothy's saying, don't do that. 
Don't get people around you. Don't get just yes men around you. Get people around you who are going to instruct you in the right way, who are going to challenge you, who are going to confront you about the things in your life that might not be right. Um, uh, so, so let's hear what we don't want to hear sometimes. You know, but let's be receptive to hearing what we don't want to hear. I believe that God is trying to communicate with us. I really do. I really believe that God is trying to teach us and guide us and direct us. Now, he doesn't necessarily come in the audible voice. It's not necessarily a flash of lightning and you hear the voice. But I do think that God, throughout the scriptures, teaches us that he's trying to lead us. He's trying to guide us. He's trying to teach us. Um, How do we hear that? How do we hear his voice? I want to go through just a few things here uh, when it comes to hearing the voice of God. Number one is be willing to hear what you don't want to hear. Be willing to, 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 to listen to things that you don't want to hear. Uh, number two, and this, should, this is an obvious one, but read God's word. Read his word. There is so much richness and depth in the scriptures. So much instruction. So much that, that you know, a lot of, there are a lot of questions that we say, well, I don't know if God wants me to do this or that. Or that. Well, there are a lot of, there's a lot of instruction in the scripture that could guide you about what you should and shouldn't do. Um, so dig into his word. The third is listen to other people. Be receptive to surround yourself with other people who are faithful and, and, and that love God and that will, that will speak into your life. This is so extremely important. I, and I've told you this before, but when I really, when I became a, decided to become a Christian and God plucked me out, uh, actually it was before, it was before I became a Christian, but it was, it was one of the steps into becoming a Christian. Before I became a Christian, I did come to the realization that I didn't like the way, the direction my life was going. I wasn't happy with the decisions that I was making. And so I called a group of people that I knew loved me and whose lives I respected and honored. And I said, hey, the next big decision I make, I'm going to call you and I want to get your advice. And I did. There were 12 people in my, on, my, on my team, and, there, and, and a lot of them still are. Um, and I started calling them and allowing people to speak into my life. Instead of being prideful and reluctant and holding people at bay, I started going, okay, look, I need to listen to other people because, you know, my own decisions that I'm making all the time on my own, they're not working out perfectly, okay? So allow people to speak into your life. This group of guys that I was telling you about that I went and visited this week in Chicago, this is a, a really great group of guys, and we, we actually were able to spend time sort of, you know, some of them are going through uh, career transitions. Some of them are going through, you know, um, uh, several of them are, are ministers, actually. And, and so they've been moving, they've been called to a different one. Two of them have been called to a different church. Uh, and so they're trying to figure out how, you know, what to do about that. One was a, an associate pastor, and he's been called to a lead pastor. And so we got, you know, we sort of like iron sharpening iron. We just got in there, and we just started talking, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the life groups are a way of doing that, and I'm not just pitching life groups, but they have, from the reports that I am hearing about the life groups, they already are serving that function. People are having an opportunity to come and express themselves and talk to one another and learn and grow together. Um, Hebrews 10:24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the same scripture that says, you know, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Get together. Open your hearts to one another. Listen to one another. Grow from one another. Um, 
Number four is pay attention to the still small voice. The prophet Elijah uh, in the book of 1 Kings wanted to hear what God had to say to him. Uh, and so he was waiting to hear what God says. And there's this beautiful passage. Uh, I'll read it to you. 1 Kings 19 says, Behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind, rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so. Elijah sort of waited for that still small voice, that peace. Sometimes when we're about to make a decision, if we've prayed and we've thought and we've read the scripture and we've talked to other people, sometimes our decision comes down to that still small voice within us that says, I feel peace about this. I feel genuine, deep, abiding peace about this. Or, you know, I just don't. I can't put my finger on why not, but I don't feel peace about that. You know, I I think God can use that still, small voice to help guide us and lead us where he wants us to be. Um, And number five is pay attention to your circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances are actually trying, you know, God is trying to teach us something through our circumstances. We often want to change our circumstances, but sometimes we should stop and contemplate our circumstances and say, what am I to learn from these circumstances? That is not a comfortable position to be in. Because sometimes you just go, I don't like this circumstance. I want to change it. And when you beat up against that circumstance enough times, sometimes you go, okay, wait a minute. That circumstance isn't going to change. Something in me needs to change. Something in me needs to, to, to soften or change or look at something differently. Have you ever had that kind of situation too where you go, you know what, that is just the reality of my life right now. And so I need to learn how to change my attitude about it. Um, Sometimes we suffer. There are obstacles in our past. There are challenges. Sometimes our triumphs teach us something about where God is leading us. Uh, Our victories, sometimes our defeats. We lose a job. We get promoted. We have all these different kinds of circumstances in our lives that can help guide us and teach us what God wants us to learn. Amen? Um, Okay, the other great sort of big lesson that that I think Jesus is teaching us in this uh, passage is Become great by serving others. Okay, so this is the part where the guys are walking down, and Jesus says, hey, by the way, what were you guys talking about? And they say, "Mm, nothing, sandals. Um, No. Uh, They don't want to disclose what they're talking about because they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. But Jesus knows what they're arguing about. He doesn't need them to tell him. And so he sits down, and he grabs a little child, and he says, Let the greatest among you be the servant of all. You want to be truly great, and you you know, there's nothing wrong with that desire to be truly great, to strive for greatness. There's nothing wrong with that desire. But the way to achieve that is not through pridefulness, is not through trying to squash other people. It's by serving. Um, When I was in New Orleans a few months back for work, uh, I got in the cab, <laughs> and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty friendly guy. I'll start talking to people and just shooting the breeze with, you know, with, it, with whoever. Um, I got in the cab. This cab driver hated his job so bad, so badly. He so badly did not like his job that, you know, I would try to strike up a little conversation with him, and he was just angry. 
just rude, just belligerent. I told him where I wanted to go, and he's like, <laughs> mumbling under his breath. He didn't want to go to that location. I don't know why. Um, we got there, and uh, and he didn't have the meter running. You ever, if you've ever been in a cab, it's like the guy who doesn't turn on the meter, you start to go, hold on, dude. Um, he didn't turn the meter on, but to his credit, he didn't overcharge me. So we get to the we get to the to the hotel where I was staying, and I didn't have any cash. I just had a credit card. So I didn't think that was going to be a problem. I said, hey, I don't have any cash. I'm going to just have a credit card. Oh, man, you would have thought that I cursed out his children. He was, he was absolutely beside himself uh, because the reason was, I think, one, now the transaction had to be on the books, and so he didn't get to pocket the money. But two, um, to use the credit card, he had to have Internet connection, and we were under a, like a parking structure. And so he had to pull up, you know, about 20 yards. And he was not happy about that. Uh, and, I mean, it, was all, it got to the point where it was almost hilarious because I've never, ever been treated so rudely by a total stranger. Uh, so we pull up, and he's, he's literally cursing now. I can hear the curse words flying out of his mouth. Um, he's cursing. And so um, I wasn't sure, like, do I still tip him? I mean, like, what do you do? So I think I did at the end of the day, just a little, a little tip. Um, but anyway, the guy just didn't want, he didn't like his job. He didn't want to serve. And what I thought when I, when I left that circumstance was this guy, whatever it is that he wants to achieve, he will not achieve it. He won't achieve it because he's not learned the basic principle that to succeed, you have to serve. To get beyond where you're at, you've got to serve. You've got to humble yourself and do your job and, 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 and reach out and do a good job and serve someone else. That's what it's all about. That's what God has called us to, and that's what the scriptures have called us to, and that's just a basic principle in life. I'm not talking about subservience. I don't mean you're obsequious, you know, that you, you, know, you go overboard being servile. That's not what I'm talking about. But you serve. You serve the needs of others. Um, Henry Ford, and this, you know, this, this isn't scripture, but, uh, it's just a basic, it works even in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, um, you know, in the secular world, Henry Ford said, wealth like happiness is never attained when sought after directly. It comes only as a byproduct of providing a useful service. So even if you weren't a Christian, even if you weren't trying to accomplish, uh, you know, true greatness in God's kingdom, even if you were just trying to you know, have a good career, this same principle applies. Serving, serving others. Um, the more one insists on being elevated, the less likely they are to be elevated. Have you ever noticed that when someone just insists that they get promoted? It's like, I don't know if that person should be promoted. But when someone says, when someone steps up and serves and does a great job, you know, they, people, they will be elevated. They will be promoted. Um, Romans 12:10 says, "Love one another with brotherly affection." This is the line I like. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo, serve each other, compete with each other to serve each other. Outdo each other. Uh, showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do you want true greatness? If you do, you can achieve it, and you can achieve it by serving others, serving the poor, serving your church congregation, serving the people at work, serving people you meet out on the street. Reach out and serve. Give, pour your life out, and you'll be filled up and overflowing. 
pour it out, and you'll be filled up and overflowing. Um, okay, and then number three, the, nut, the third big principle that he's teaching uh, in this passage is see the big picture. See the big picture. Um, this week, in uh, Chicago, we, we were in Chicago, and we were at the, um, <laughs> did you see, you got, uh, we, were at, we were at the Art Institute. Um, does anybody know what that is? You probably, some of you probably do. So we were at the Art Institute in Chicago, and um, there was a, uh, a whole room fu- full of Impressionist paintings. And Impressionist painters are, uh, they, they developed this technique in the early 19th century where they would just apply these little brush strokes. And these little strokes, and they even developed a, one branch of, uh, of Impressionism is called pointillism, where they would literally take the, the, t- the brush and just touch it onto the canvas. And this series of strokes and dots, if you looked at it closely, it didn't, it didn't, you couldn't see anything. You had no idea what it was. But if you pulled back and looked at the big picture, uh, you could see an amazing, you know, you could see an amazing picture. Um, it was actually, it was actually really neat to, to, at the Art Institute this, this weekend, there was a, Van Gogh painting. Uh, it, was the, it was a self-portrait. It was a very famous one. And you could stand, I mean, you could literally stand five inches from it. Uh, but if you stood four inches from it, an alarm went off and uh, people started looking at you weird. But, um, but you could stand right up and, and look at it. And it had just these little flecks, just these little flecks of color. And you, you, you know, up close you couldn't make out what it was, but you stood back and it was like, oh, I see. What's going on with... Uh, with the disciples is John comes to Jesus and he says, hey, we saw some people casting out devils in your name, but they, they weren't one of us. So we tried to stop them. And Jesus said, no, don't do that. If they're not against us, they're for us. God, Jesus is saying, look, look at the big picture. We're spreading the kingdom of God. And don't, don't try to confine it to just us four and no more. Be open. Be receptive to what God is doing in other areas. Everybody doesn't have to do it exactly like we do it. Uh, it, it, was, it was on this trip, it was very interesting because there were about four pastors out of the group of us, um, all from different denominations. And we had a fantastic time. And, and there, were, there were points of, you know, fine theological points upon which we disagreed. Uh, but we had, well, we all agreed that we were, we were working together in unity. We're all the body of Christ reaching out and trying to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish on the earth. You know, we, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't dwell on the little peculiarities, the small distinctives that separated us. Um, somebody sent me a few weeks ago... Um, the the YouTube of the, the old Emo Phillips routine, this comedian from the what is he seventies eighties, he does this he does this ridiculous routine where he's sort of poking fun at religious people's um, desire to argue amongst themselves, um, and I, I I won't do justice to the routine, but he says that he was in San Francisco uh, and they he was um, he was on a bridge, and there was a there was a person that was ready to jump, and he comes up to the man, and he says, "Don't do it." He says, uh, and the man says, "Why?" And 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 Emo Phillips says, "Because God loves you." 
And he says, do you believe in God? And the man said, yes. And Emil Phillips says, oh, so do I. He says, are you a Christian or a Jew? And the man says, I'm a Christian. Emil Phillips says, so am I. And he says, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And the guy says, I'm a Protestant. And Emil Phillips says, so am I. And he says, are you a, uh, a what, what kind? And, he, and the man said, I'm, I'm Baptist. And Emil Phillips says, so am I. He says, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? The guy says, the guy says, Southern Baptist. And he says, well, so am I. And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? The guy said, Northern, Northern Conservative Baptist. He said, so am I. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? The guy said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. He said, so am I. The guy said, uh, uh, Emo said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. The guy said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. Emo Phillips said, die, heretic, and he pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> the point is, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, look at the big picture. Look at, what, look at what God is doing. Don't get caught up in little diversions and little squabbles and little arguments. Don't go out there and just try to nitpick the other people that are also trying to strive to do what God wants them to do. You know, focus on what God wants you to do uh, and, and, and have humility and grace and, and honor uh, for people who are also trying to do what God wants them to do. Um, John 13 says, I love this, by this all men will know you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. It's your love one for another that is going to demonstrate to others that you are one of Jesus' disciples. It won't be your, your uh, doctrinal acumen. It won't be you know, that you can point out the, you know, all of the nuances of Pauline theology. Um, it's going to be that you reach out and love to other people. Uh, Psalm uh, 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. To dwell together in unity. Ecclesiastes 4 says, Though one may be overpowered by another. I like this. This is sort of a practical application. Ecclesiastes says, Though one may be overpowered by someone else, two can withstand. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, the more you come together, the more you unify, the more you reach out to others and work together, the stronger you're going to be. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Work together. Come together. Reach out to other people. Unify. Uh, Ephesians 4, 3, 3 through 6 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's saying, come together. Worship God. Come together in the worship of, 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 of God. And don't nitpick over everything that everybody else is doing. If they're not against us, they're for us. And I'll close with this. Sometimes in life, we can get sidetracked with things that aren't truly important. We can find ourselves climbing that ladder to nowhere. We can get 
caught up in the pursuit of things that ultimately don't matter. Has, has anyone ever done that where you just really, you go, I just pursued this, I went to the end of this, and it's disappointing. It didn't bring me what I thought it was going to bring me. Uh, there are things that we pursue in life that ultimately have no eternal value, and we do them, we pursue them to the detriment of our friends, our families, our spouses, our kids, and most importantly, sometimes we pursue these things to the detriment of our relationship with God. We put God on the sideline in pursuit of things that don't last. I want to challenge you today, if you're a follower of Christ, or if you are just considering being a follower of Christ, see what happens this week if you apply these three principles that we talked about. See what happens if you listen closely to God's voice in your life by listening to others, by reading the scripture, by listening to that still, small voice in your own life. See what happens. Experiment with it. I challenge you to try that this week. I challenge you to become great by serving others. See what happens this week if you reach out and start serving other people and start doing start doing things for other people, especially someone who can't return the favor. Do something for someone who cannot return the favor to you. See what happens if you start reaching out and serving this week. And number three is see the big picture. Try to pull back if you can and just sort of see the bigger picture. When we do that, we see that our problems, our issues, our problems and foibles and flaws are not that huge in the grand scheme of things. See the big picture. By applying these truths, these principles to our lives, rather than by climbing the ladder to nowhere, you will be following the path of the master. And following him leads to a life of greater joy, greater peace, and greater adventure than you could ever imagine. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the adventure of following you. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to learn these spiritual truths, these truths that are eternal, uh, God, and help us to apply them to our life. They're simple. They're straightforward. They're practical. But, God, we ask that as you teach your disciples, teach us. We make the same mistakes that they do. We make the mistake of thinking that uh, our pursuits, our goals, our dreams are, uh, are all that important, and really the pursuit of you is all that's important, God. We ask you, Lord, to guide us this week as we, uh, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we, as we uh, engage our spouses and our, our friends. Uh, we ask you, Lord, just to be with us and help us to apply these principles to our lives to honor you and to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.